Welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. This is uh, Pacers editor Nat Newell with the Indy Star. I'm here, of course, with our Pacers insider, uh, Dustin Dopirak. Um, We're going to start off talking about uh, the story that we posted this morning that you wrote, uh, basically saying, uh, for all intents and purposes, the competitive, I don't want to say competitive, the the Mm. desire to win is perhaps not as strong as it has been the rest of the season. Um, Mm. I think that's, I think that's the right call by the team. If anything, they should have gone this way a little bit sooner. Although we've talked about it a hundred times, that's a really tricky uh, Mm. thing to handle. Um, But just real quick, obviously people can read about it too. We don't want to give the whole story away here, but uh, take us Mm. through, through your thoughts on, on why you wrote that today. Yeah, no, basically, I, I think this was kind of the formal end of contention. And and I don't think it's been pretty clear, I think, especially even going back to uh, the trade deadline and some things that Kevin Pritchard in particular, but also Rick Carlisle said around the deadline about the idea of um, kind of pursuing the, the pursuit of getting into the play in round. Because uh, I, I think at that point after, you know, they had lost nine out of 10 uh, when Tyrese Halliburton was out and, and they had lost. Um, you know, I think they lost maybe five of his first six, somewhere in that range. Uh, I don't have the schedule, you know, I'm not looking at the schedule right now, but I mean, it was what, like 16 out of 19, um, from the night of the injury on that kind of took them from being sixth in the East, uh, to below 10th, um, and reached the point that, you know, the, a playing round was achievable, um, if they were, were devoted to it, but certainly wasn't, um, they kind of expressed at that point that that it wasn't something that it was that was worth losing something for that that um, it, it certainly wasn't worth it to go get somebody who would be a rental and and pay somebody who would be uh, maybe a bigger part of the Pacers or could be part of the Pacers future uh, with the idea of mortgaging anything whatsoever uh, to get players who could get them across just just get in to get them into something to create some kind so that they could point to some kind of postseason basically saying that it wasn't worth it at that point um, really since then though I mean it. It seemed like, and and there was there have been kind of changes within this approach, but that they wanted ultimately to still be competitive and still try to win basketball games. Uh, and the way Carlisle said it is, you know, he kept talking about um, situations that felt like the playoffs and saying like, okay, like this is what a playoff scenario was like. And he would go in and tell these guys that that after certain games, like this is this is what it feels like. And. It, you know, he, one thing he said, I think, was that, you know, we can't get enough of this right now when he talked about some competitive game. And I can't remember what it was. Um, it might have been their win in Dallas. It might have been their win in Milwaukee. Um, but just talking about games that mattered for them that they could point to and say, you know, this is what the atmosphere is going to be like. This is what the experience is going to be like going forward. Um, and so even and even Detroit was kind of a weird blip in that when they went up there and, and sat a couple guys, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, TJ McConnell and Miles Turner, um, but still created kind of a, a competitive scenario uh, for, you know, sort of the younger guys going against a team that is that has clearly been, you know, uh, you know, tanking for some time and was very much lottery bound by that point. Um, but, you know, last night them deciding, OK, Buddy Heald is out for the first time all year. He was apparently uh, sick enough that a doctor had to come in and say, no, buddy, you really have to sit. Um, you're, this is not an option you have. And he wasn't in the building. And I don't know what he had, but it was ultimately must have been something that we, we don't want it coming into Gambridge Fieldhouse. It's not COVID, um, but it was something that, that must have been at least contagious enough that like, all right, like you're not coming in and getting everybody else here sick. You stay home. You know, don't come in the building. You're not playing. I don't care. You know, your streak doesn't matter anymore. I think it was going to be 100 straight games for him um, if he would have played. So that 
and then the, them deciding, okay, instead of saying, you know, all right, well, Buddy's out. Well, we got to make sure we play Tyrese and Miles and make this a competitive game against the Dallas team that that really still wants it. You know, we have an opportunity to play a team that wants it bad, so this can feel like a playoff scenario. Uh, instead of you know going to con- continuing going go down that path of at least creating competitive games, and if you win, you win; if you lose, you lose. Uh, it was all right. Take Tyrese and Miles out. You know, get out of the way of this team that wants to get into the playoffs. Uh, and let's throw guys into the deep end like Ben Matherin. Have him him start more. Um, that th- that became that officially became more of the focus of it's now about um, getting these young guys uh, in in these situations. You know, I, I think um, Carlisle used the phrase. You know, you're you're at the grown up ta- uh, grown ups table now, and it's it's forcing guys that haven't uh, necessarily been there at least in their role to you know spend more time at the grown-ups table andrew nemhart to spend another game playing point guard even though he started a bunch jalen smith play the five as opposed to starting at the four like he was earlier in the year jordan awara starting um but really particularly matherin and him being in a position where he had to take on uh you know go guard a starter uh you know if it was reggie bullock it's not like he was taking on um uh you know luka Doncic or, or or kyrie irving but be in a position where you might get switched on to those guys um and you know have to guard bullock or tim hardaway jr your guys that are, are established pros that have been scoring points in the league for a long time and you have to go guard them and you and you have to you know close out on them when when you know and and be in help side uh and you know you still saw him get exposed in that in that area and see just how far away he is from being a good all-around defender um but it it, it I, I thought it clearly marked a sea change that said you know the math is the math at this point they're not a mathematically eliminated but it would take a collapse on the part of the bulls um and them to you know either win out or something close to it uh, for them just to get in the play on, in round to be the 10th seed and to get one game on the road. You know, that's what would have to, re- to happen. Um, and that's all they would be guaranteed is to play the ninth seed on the road and, and have just guaranteed one game. And if you win that game, you still got to get another one just to get a playoff series against probably the Bucks. Uh, you know, probably the one seed Bucks. And and so they, they clearly have noted that at this point, what what is available for them, what is even possible for them in postseason, uh, is not worth the pursuit uh, for what it does to you. You know, as far as costing you lottery position, but also uh, what it could cost you as far as you know forcing guys to play when they're not 100, um, percent and also costing you the opportunity of, of throwing guys in the deep end and and letting them figure it out uh, when the stakes are lower. Yeah, I think it's also, I, I, I mean, I think we, uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast knows I am mostly pro tank. Um, I just think the rules are set up to make it so the worse you finish, the better chance you have at success. I won't go into all of it. It's not always that, but, but, uh, I think it's important to note that right, uh, right now they are seventh, uh, in the lottery. Um, and there is a significant, I, I say significant seven and a half percent or something like that if you're sixth you have a seven and a half percent chance uh, better getting a top four pick um and that's not nothing i mean that's important mm-hmm. i think in the grand scheme of things there's very little difference between uh there's almost no difference between whether you finish seventh and eighth obviously other than you'd rather pick seventh than eighth um yeah but but there and there is there's a little bit of a difference between fifth and sixth but it's not a huge difference but there is a fair the second biggest gap is between six and seven and they're mm-hmm. chasing Orlando and I guess chasing me. I don't know. Running backwards. I don't know how you describe right. that. Yeah. Uh, they're, uh, they're right there with Orlando and Portland. Portland is trying really hard not to win games. I think mm-hmm. Orlando is trying to win games. Um, but so even moving up one spot is important. And it's that tight that I think there is a, 
I mean, there's a there's a tank sense. Again, I'm not saying they're tanking, but there is a there's a mathematical sense to doing this now and trying to finish. I don't think you're going to do anything overt, but there is a reason to finish sixth rather than seventh. I, which right. I no, don't. I think, I think yeah. they're real careful about not getting into that, though. Yeah. No. I mean, they're not. They're certainly not going to talk about it um, because I think. I mean, and and to their point, there is a, a value in just what is happening on the floor. Uh, as far as some of these guys getting thrown in this situation. So, Rick Carl, I can point to this. Is it's not all about draft position. It's also about, you know, forcing guys like Matherin, guys like Isaiah Jackson, guys like Jalen Smith, uh, Jordan Ora, you know, uh, into these positions, keeping Aaron Nees, like giving at least a little bit more responsibility to guys like um, Andrew Nemhart and Aaron Neesmith. If those guys have started, um, they have been out there for defense and their offensive sort of responsibilities haven't been all that much. Um, so, the there is an on-floor um, purpose to doing this for the guys who are already in camp uh, that they could point to and say, okay, it's not just about tanking for lottery position. And, and I mean, obviously, the word tank has the connotation of quitting. It right. has the, the connotation of of almost point shaving. You know, it, it's, it's not that, obviously, because it, it's not about gamblers, but it's to the point of saying trying to lose. And no, that, no player is trying to lose. Every player, no, exactly. no player cares where the, any team picks in the draft. Yeah, I mean, they do a little. I Like, they get it. If you, if, if you were to get Tyrese Halliburton off the record, you know, like, it's not that hard for him to to get him rolling and thinking about, all right, this is what we need. I mean, I think these guys know that they're pretty good, but there are other pieces that are necessary. You know, that, that, that there's stuff that, that there are a few things that just are not in camp. Not not that anybody was supposed to be this um, right. necessarily or that anybody's failing to be this. It's just that, that there are certain body types, certain positions that they do not have that there is nobody who could have been expected to be that guy um and they're aware of that and they're aware also that some of guys like that are available uh in the draft and and, and uh, like obviously Victor Womanyama is a different story in, all in of itself if they you know get that lottery ticket if if you know that ping pong com- comes up the franchise changes entirely uh but there are other guys that I think fit the profile pretty well of what they want that could be there at six seven eight uh yeah. you know that that if, if, if that's if, if they don't get any lottery luck whatsoever um that fit the mold of what they could use that are going to be there um or have a good chance of being there that that one of them will be basically there's three or four guys that okay you know maybe this guy moves up maybe that guy's moved back but if you if, if someone else takes this guy you get that guy you know and the names i'm thinking of there and we can get more into them later are jaris walker out of houston you know cam whitmore out of villanova uh you know the bigger of the thompson twins um i'm sort of sketchy on as to which ones which i think it's also i don't know um <laughs> But you're getting yeah. ahead of us. We're not I'm not done talking no. about this other stuff yet. So, so we're not. Yeah, but I, I think they know. Yes, you're right. We're, we're going to get to that later. Um, <laughs> but uh, they 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 are aware of that, but they're not throwing games for that reason. Nobody's trying to look stupid out there uh, for the purpose of getting somebody else on the team. Uh, and they also know that it, it does lead to some guys they like on the team ultimately being cast off. Um, <laughs> that that when you add some of these guys, that means someone else gets moved and someone that they like. Uh, you know, because this, this team really, really likes each other. Um, but I think they're also aware that, okay, adding some of the guys that they're eventually going to need to make a real run and be real playoff team means some guys move on and have to go someplace else. Yeah, what's interesting to me is you look at the magic. I think 
Um, I, I, I think the Magic probably have a, a more interesting talent group of talent than the Pacers. I mean, not that the Pacers they don't do. have an interesting group of talent, but I think the Magic would generally be considered to have that. And, my, and yet, you haven't seen that this year, really. I think you might, maybe you're starting to see it now, but you haven't seen that. And my question is, would you rather be the Pacers with maybe not quite the level of talent that Orlando has, but they were on pace to win 45 games when Halliburton gets hurt? That's That means something. Or would you rather be the Magic with more talent, but for some, I don't even think that they've won as many games as, they, as the, their current talent level makes me think they should have so i mean and that's the real question to me is which side of this do you want to be on do you want to have more talent but not quite sure what you've got i mean houston's got all kinds of talent but god they're awful or yeah. would you <laughs> pacers who maybe don't have quite the talent level you want but have shown that they can be um again i mean they could they were in sixth place in the east they were outside the play-in when uh when halliburton mm-hmm. got hurt i mean where would you rather yeah. be yeah, I mean, I lean towards I'd rather be the Pacers. What I I think what the difference is, what you're seeing there in 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 who has what and who doesn't is, for lack of a better term, the Pacers have a soul. Uh, and and no, I, I don't mean that to say that there's a um that, that there's bad guys in Orlando or whatever, but there's a culture. There's kind of a um uh there's there's culture, there's purpose, there's, you know, theory of the case, I guess. Um, and, and, and guys who are sort of driving what they want their personality to be. And it's not fully formed yet. Um, you know, you, you can't, I think say right now, like, this is what this, you know, what, what this next great pace, the potentially great Pacers team, uh, you know, established, you know, kind of perennial, uh, Pacers team looks like, but you know, you, you have a, um, in Halliburton, you have somebody who isn't just a really good player, but, um, lays a foundation from a play style standpoint, from a cultural standpoint. Um, they know the type type of team they want to be. Whereas I don't know that you see that in Orlando yet. I don't know that you see that in Houston yet. Um, but on the flip side of that, it's also, saying all right like you're you are building pieces and you don't necessarily have to have the cultural culture set yet when you get everybody in place then maybe you can set it then and you end up being in better shape um in orlando just had so uh, and i just remember really when even when the pacers were beating them in november you could just see all this length and even banchero wasn't didn't even play in those games but like i mean they still had mobamba at the time and they had bomba and they had bull bull and they had france wagner and they're running out these guys out there and they are huge and they are skilled and you're like okay first off why isn't this team good um because like look at all that's out there i mean they've got seven four guys that are knocking down threes you know ball ball is like proto victor when and you're like all right well what, what why isn't this team already there and you're telling me all right like this ben carroll guy is better than the, all the rest of them and he's not even playing right now like what what why am i what why is what i'm looking at not a contender and they're clearly missing some things you know markel fultz is all right but is that really the point guard you want driving the train you know i don't know um the last week or two but yeah what's that? yeah so it's like maybe you know the, the, and i i think but there are there are reasons you would want to be the Pacers. And I think even one thing that we were talking about with them last night um, was they were talking about just how much they respect Buddy because 
he does not want to take it the day off. Like he's he has had two 82 game seasons. You know, last year was an 81 game season. The only I guess the only game he missed was when he got traded. And, you know, there was kind of the, um, you know, transition period of, of him getting from Sacramento to Indiana. They might have had a game, you know, shortly thereafter. Uh, you know, they might have just had the, you know, acclimation period in there. Um, but you know, like he played 81 last year, there's a good chance, you know, if, if he gets back quickly, he'll play 81 again this year. Um, and that sort of sets a standard. And even Ben Matherin was saying like, I, I think that's good for me to be around guys like that. You know, they talk about it and I like that idea too, of being a guy who, who wants to play 82, um, and Halliburton, you know, Halliburton wants to play 82. I mean, he obviously didn't get there cause he had a couple, you know, legitimate injuries between the ankle and, you know, especially the elbow, uh, where he could not go, um, that, that it wasn't like, a, a, a you know, maybe you could push it. Maybe you can't, it was this, this is not a thing that you can take out on the floor. Um, but th- th- they have that kind of culture. They, they have, uh, a way of playing that, um, inspires togetherness and 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 they have a coach obviously that's been around it's been around championship teams uh knows what it looks like from a chemistry standpoint uh they have all those things and all those things are pretty good um but it is clear that that what is necessary like you you could make the argument to me that the magic have most most of what they need from a talent standpoint um but i think it's just very clear that the pacers do not yet you know um that 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 there is that there are pieces that are necessary and i think they can get them in this draft and i think they can make some moves to get some other pieces to make sure that they are uh really built but i mean they 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 need a star i don't know that the magic need a star but the pacers need another star you know yes, another I, I towards the magic but boy it's it's an interesting it's a really interesting debate to me because you could easily you mm-hmm. could really easily be wrong either way. I mean, you just absolutely could. So yeah, uh, there are other steps that you're going to need that are need that are are going to happen that are going to change that debate. Um, but if you're saying right now, you know, you could make very clearly make an argument for either franchises being in better shape and being better built for the future. Um, you mentioned Matherin being sort of the centerpiece of them of what happened last night, or you know, his starting and letting him putting him keeping him in the starting lineup. Um, First off, I wanted to touch on the fabulous uh, profile you did on Matherin. This is a little uh, inside baseball, but uh, as an editor, uh, you know what the sort of usual themes are, certainly about a player. And with Matherin, it's his his, uh, approach on the court, which is, you know, really tough, really competitive. And that's fabulous. And that's sort of what I was thinking um, that the story would be. But you and you certainly touch on that. But you took that and almost flipped it on its head and said, here's who he really is. And here's why sort of a totally different, not different, but uh, or a different, it's not opposite, but a different approach personally leads to what you see on the on the court. I don't want to get too much into it. Uh, people should should Google uh, Benedict Matherin in your name for that piece. Um, but give, real quick, give the folks a little bit about how that story came together and how you ended up where you did uh, with the angle. Yeah, no, I kept, there was a couple things to a couple different pieces that, that moved me around with it. I mean, I think one was the way Rick Carlisle kept talking about uh, Ben being interested in self-discovery and, and, and him him basically saying that, that Rick, I think, said, you know, Ben called me up and said, you know, I want to be coached hard. You know, I want to be pushed. And, you know, every time throughout the season where he'd have a bad game or whatever, um, he would adjust really quickly. And, and he didn't seem bothered by the fact that he wasn't in the starting lineup, even though, you know, he's putting all these up, all these numbers and Andrew Nem- Nemhard is starting and, you know, Nemhard is not scoring at the level and he's not producing at the level offensively. 
Um, but Matherin seemed to roll with that punch, you know, pretty well. And and again, just always seemed to adjust to 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 any kind of moves. And if you saw him have a bad game, you, you would see him just, you know, w- within a game or two, you know, fix a lot of what was wrong. Uh, again, especially on the offensive end. And I think Rick kind of explained more where that was coming from. And I did think it was interesting then when I called the, um, you know, kind of quote I led with from his sister, you know, Jen Mather and him talking about, you know, hey, a lot of people look at him and say that he's uh, borderline disrespectful. Like he's really not. He's just really confident. And, and is that really a bad thing, especially when he always wants to get better? Uh, you know, Jen just, I mean, that that was a, a, an answer to the "Is there anything else I think you should you think I should know?" question, um, which I think uh, you know, if, if any young reporters listen to this, that's always uh, always one thing I think is I don't always remember to do it, but it it frequently pays off. Is just when you're at the end of an interview with somebody, if if when you're talking about, especially if you're talking uh, to them about somebody else. Um, saying, is there any anything else you think I should know about this person that I haven't asked? Is there anything about this that you think it's important to say about this person that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, a lot of times you get great answers to that. And it's just um, because sometimes when it comes to reporting, it, it, getting out of your own way and not. Um, sorry, my beagle has some thoughts on uh, the tree that's coming down next door, um, but getting out of your own way and not trying to just p- you know, craft the perfect question for your own ego, getting out of the way and just letting people tell you things, uh, I think is important. But I think the way Jen said that really kind of set it up well to say that this is about uh, an approach and the difference between sort of confidence and arrogance, that the arrogant sort of believe they're already pretty good and there's not much that they have to do, but you can be supremely confident and still be aware that work is required for you to be what you can become. Ben will straight up look you in the eye and tell you he wants to be one of the best players that there ever was and that he right. believes he can be that, but he he knows that that's not possible if he's not all in, that, that, that he is far away enough from that, that it requires a lot of work and it requires him to get out of, to, to listen to what people tell him. And I think that's something that he acknowledged that he wasn't very good at for a long time, especially when it came to um, dealing with uh, the loss of his older brother. Um, when he was a kid and was hit by a car, basically saying, you know, getting to the point of saying, like, I am I can't just get out of the way and listen to people. I'm not going to fight coaches when they tell me things. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of how that piece came together. Of You, you already saw the confidence, um, you know, and that was clear. But it was like, OK, what is that confidence doing and how is it making him a better player? Uh, how is it not a hindrance? How is it not something that, you know, leads to him fe- thinking that he's better than than he is? Um, and so I thought. That those pieces I thought uh, fortunately came together well, and, and thanks for Jen Matherin for giving me a real quote that uh, that I could spin all that around. Yes, excellent uh, advice for journalists there with that question. Uh, um, I also, where's Matherin at? I guess in your opinion right now, it it's almost seems like he's been. I don't want to say hurt because in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter how he's perceived. But he started mm. off so strong um when as a young as he is i no one expected this um but you know you hear and but it's also giving people time to nitpick him a little bit um yeah you know zach Lowe on espn zach Lowe's great he's where i'll listen to his podcast he's um he's as good as it gets in terms of nba coverage and he was 100 percent fair in what he was saying i don't want to mischaracterize uh um what he was saying but he talked about how you'd like to see you know create a little bit more play a little bit more defense but um i guess mm. we're think Matherin is in the grand scheme of things right now as his first season comes to a close yeah no I think it comes back to this theme of you know that 
that this is now about throwing these guys in the deep water and exposing them. And I think um, you are seeing this this situation has exposed Matherin for where he is behind. Um, and, and and obviously he's been put in situations and, and Carlisle even said, you know, he, he liked to put guys in situations where they would be successful. And that has been the goal for him for most of the year. And that's part of the reason why he, he kept coming off the bench um, and that that. He, he wasn't thrust in the starting lineup and left there. There was a few games, obviously, he did start when guys were out. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton's previous period when he was out with the elbow sprain, and he got a couple starts in there, but in, in the course of that, the one road trip that was sort of out west, um, he was pulled back out of the starting lineup, and I asked him why, and he said, you know, I, I, he's been more successful uh, coming off the bench, so I think that's what we're going to do is we're going to make him – Put him in a, in, in, a, in a position for success, and now that they're at this point, it's like okay, like I'm now in a place where I'm willing for him to see how far away he is, see how how far the distance is for him to travel, and that does mean though that if as an outside observer, you're seeing how far away he is, um, and I think that is removing him a little bit from being the guy who's going to finish second for rookie of the year. I don't think he will finish second for rookie of the year. Now, obviously it's Ben Bencheros and it's over. It's not, it's not even his to lose. It's done. You know, he is go, he is getting that trophy. Um, but you know, I, I, I think, you know, first team all rookie is, uh, it's on the, it's, you know, it, it is a little bit in jeopardy right now. Uh, the way he's playing, I think guys like Jalen Williams and guys like, um, you know, Walker Kessler have moved, have moved ahead of him there. And there's probably some other guys, uh, like that too. It's still, he's still in good shape because he's the second leading scorer among rookies. I think that'll still get him uh, a lot of votes, uh, for that team. And I, and I think it would be a, a nice thing for this group, you know, that would matter for him. And it would matter, I think for the Pacers to get a, a first team, all rookie guy for the first time, I think since, um, Rick Smith. So, I mean, I think that would be kind of a big deal, but, um, it is exposing him a little bit that he, that, that you're seeing some struggle. And so, you know, okay, what, what are those that, that you're seeing exposed? Obviously just on the defensive end. Um, he is not very good defensively right now. I mean, he's he's not very good. He has a lot of problems uh, as an off-ball defender. And, you know, with the assignments he's getting, you know, that, that that's really, really important. He's not guarding, you know, like when it, when uh, the other night, or I'm sorry, last night, uh, I mean, there, there was one play where Reggie Bullock got like a wide open three and Matherin was not even like halfway, like he was in the paint and I mean, he was like flat footed uh, when the ball swings over. And, and, you know, even from where I was standing, I could say, okay, like, Reggie Bullock's open in the corner. That ball's going over there. And it took, you know, a long time for Matherin to figure out that that's what was happening. And, you know, he 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 had a long way to run and wasn't even close to getting a real close out there. Um, and so you see pieces like that, that, that he gets sucked into things, that he gets, you know, trapped in off-ball screens and that, that he just doesn't seem to see enough of uh you just he doesn't seem to see around corners as an off-ball defender of of when that ball is go getting to your guy and you need to be there on the catch um you know that he ends up having a long way to travel in in those scenarios i mean he's an okay on ball defender but not a great one um and but there's a reason why he's not getting you know they're 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 still not you know even close to being willing to throw him on a a luke or whatever i mean they'll 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 let him pick somebody up and switches he got Tatum the other night for a little while, and Tatum made him look bad, you know. Um, so you're seeing the sense of just how far away he is from being a good defensive player. Offensively, um, you know, I, I think you're waiting to see 
him really um, show that he could be really good in the creating aspect of it, of creating for others. He's had some good moments in that, but it's not necessarily been been consistent where you could say, all right, Ben, you know, you are functionally the point guard for a little while. You know, you're going to bring the ball up. You're going to get in ball screen actions. You're going to be asked to make decisions, you know, whether hit the roll man or to kick, um, you know, or, or to go the distance, but but play more. Uh, like a point guard and play less like a just hard charging too, like you've been for a lot of the year, uh, you know, learn how to do to play this way too, to kind of play at different paces. Um, and I don't know that he's proven that, but I do think it was still important um, because I, I think he, he really got thrust into this um, starting rule in, in, in a different way a couple nights ago when they pulled healed out, you know, I, th- I think, uh, you know, on, on Friday against Boston was kind of the first time that he was really thrown into this deep end. Um, and what was going on on defense, I think led to him being a little bit less aggressive than he usually is on offense, you know, over two games, he only took eight shots and that's very, uh, very, you know, uh, atypical uh, for Matherin. I think it was important that that last night he got sort of that aggression back and and led the team with 26 points. You know, obviously on night when when he was the the guy who had scored the most points among among the players that were on the floor. Obviously, the top three scorers, you know, per game were gone, and Matherin's fourth. So it made sense that he was going to get more opportunities scoring wise. But I mean, it, you saw s- still some confidence and aggression that, that the previous two nights hadn't beaten him up, and I think that was good progress. Uh, but again, I, I just think it's it, he. He is very clear about saying that I want to be one of the best players to ever play the game. And I know that requires me to be a good two-way player, you know, in in the spirit of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, guys that had at least remotely similar body types to him. You know, they were obviously great defensive players, and he thinks that he can be somebody that's mentioned at that level and knows that he has to be a defender like they were defenders. Uh, and he, you know, again, is now seeing just how far away from that he's being and how much of a focus that has to be for him if he wants to be that type of guy. Yeah, I, I like one of the things I liked in your story uh, today is I think he mentioned that, you know, talking about not being the on ball. That. Hear from people, you know, some people, I think, get the sense that like admitting that you have a weak, a, a, that there's something you need to get better at is like somehow admitting that you're weak. And it's actually the opposite. If you can recognize you need to get better at something, that's a strength. And I think Halliburton is big at that. And to hear Matherin talk the same way, um, I think speaks really well of him and his future for the team. Um, the other thing that is clearly he needs to, uh, his three-point shooting needs to improve. Um, yeah. But given his work ethic, that seems like uh, something that should fairly easily uh, fall into place as well, given his, you know, I just have gifted a natural score he is too. Yeah, no, I mean, and and form doesn't look bad, you know, like, I mean, when it goes down, you're like, okay, well, that's, there, there's a good shooter there. You don't like, whereas defensively, you're like, okay, like a lot's got to get better there. I mean, there's, there's, sometimes it's a mess. But like, when you watch them shoot, you're like, all right, well, there's nothing wrong with that shot. It's just off. He just missed it. You know, whether it's, you know, up, down, left, right, you know, sometimes it's short, sometimes it's like there's there's not enough arc to it or whatever. Um, but he never looks bad shooting the basketball. You know, like he he never looks like okay, like that's a guy that shouldn't be taking that shot, you know, just just on first glance. Uh the percentage isn't high enough. I mean, I think he's he's had a lot of months where he's been in the twenties. I mean, like you know, let me pull up what he's what's he shooting for the year. Um what we got here. 
he is 32.1. And that's obviously, you know, for a guy that's going to be a primary scorer that, that you're going to, you know, want to get the ball on a lot of occasions. Uh, that's not nearly good enough. I mean, Halliburton's at 40, Heald's at 42.1. That's a pretty drastic difference. Um, so he needs to, he needs to be a better shooter. Um, but that seems imminently doable. That doesn't seem like it's going to be something that, that he can't accomplish. He's just going to keep working on that. Uh, it is something that he's never been. He's never been a great shooter, uh, but he's always already been a pretty always been a pretty decent one. Yeah, I think he needs to make the leap from decent to at least pretty good. I don't think he, he he's he's not going to be Buddy, you know, in his career where where Buddy has like really made a career on the three on the three ball. I don't think Mathen's going to be that type of guy. But I mean, he should be a guy that can shoot 37, 38 percent. Uh, you know, being at the, at the higher levels of that and approach 40, um, he needs to be, I think, that good if he if he's going to be considered a truly great scorer in the league. Uh, but I don't think that's out of the question because I, I don't I don't think form wise, you know, work ethic wise, it, it doesn't seem to be beyond him at all. Uh, you mentioned uh, what pieces are available out there to add to this team. Um, I, I mean, obviously, it's a, some kind of multifaceted power forward is what they mm. really need um you mentioned some of the guys but just sort of take us through who's out there what do you think the possibilities are at the end of the season in terms of finding that player yeah and no, i thought um I, I read a pretty good uh mock draft uh starting to read a pretty good mock, mock draft this morning that uh, uh sam vicini did over at the athletic uh and, and they have him getting jarris walker and he said they need the, the thing that he noted in there that i thought was interesting is they they need defensive playmakers um and so ultimately i think that's a big piece is to say that that they're might already be at or close to enough scoring punch on this team, but it's really a bad defensive team right now. I mean, it's, I mean, I think they're like one of, they're like second worst in, in any defensive metric you want since the all-star break. And you know, they're, they're really towards the bottom and they're just, there needs to be more guys they trust and there needs to be guys that they trust to guard different type of bodies. I mean, I, I think again, Andrew Nemhard and Aaron Neesmith have made some pretty good strides this year. And I think they're going to be really good defenders. Uh, but this is obviously the first year that they were defending top level guys. Um, but they need some, some people that can defend bigger players. They need some guys that can rebound at somewhere other than the center position, I mean, they've they've gotten good rebounding from the five uh, between Miles Turner, Jalen Smith, and Isaiah Jackson. All three of those guys, I think, have rebounded the ball pretty well. Um, but there's not enough coming from other spots. I mean, there's there's nobody. I don't think anybody on the team. Uh, yeah, J- Jordan Awara obviously has, has shown that he can rebound a little bit, and that was something that we mentioned that could be uh, an important part of his addition. You know, he's averaging 4.6 rebounds in the 18, 18 games uh, that he's been with the Pacers, but nobody else is averaging four. Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no one else on the roster uh, outside of the centers is averaging four rebounds a game other than the, the three five men, you know, Turner, uh, Smith and Jackson and Nora. And so they need somebody, I think that they can really put at that four position that can go get the basketball, uh, you know, when it comes off the rim, that it, it can't just be, uh, five men that are rebounding for this team, um, offensively, but especially defensively. It's just that they're, they're, they're one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the league. And it's bad enough that they're not great, you know, uh, on ball perimeter point of attack defenders to start with. Uh, they are, they have throughout the season allowed too many second chance points. Somebody else needs to be able to go in the glass. And it just seems like Jarris Walker really fits uh, a lot of what they want. And, you know, just from a player profile, obviously I don't know the kid at all. Um, but from a, a profile of what he does, uh, seems to really fit what they need. I mean, I, I, it, it wouldn't be a bad thing for them to get another score. Um, 
you know, a, maybe a bigger wing like a Cam Whitmore or somebody like that that can put the ball in the bucket and be able to put somebody at the four that can really score it, you know, create a situation where Neesmith moves to the bench and, you know, he's more, um, you know, they've played him at power forward because he's really the most physical guy that they could they have been able to justify putting in the starting lineup uh up until they acquired Nora and you know there's been some back and forth there and obviously Nora was the better offensive player and Smith's the better defensive player but Nora was not bad um and I think that's why you're seeing them get more time on the floor together because I think that's something they want to experiment with and see how it works and I think there's been some pretty positive returns as far as that's concerned um but I think that they want somebody that I think really truly fits the mold side size wise as a four guy that can really defend the position and rebound yeah, I don't think, I mean, to me, is Naismith going to start on a team that's good enough to win in a first-round playoff series? I don't think so. Um, could he come off the bench for that team? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, to me, that's really where they had to, they, where they need to find, you know, you've got with, with Halliburton, Matherin, and, uh, and Heald, you've got, you know, three perimeter guys. So it's, it's a little bit of an odd spot in that. I don't know that you necessarily need a small forward, but um, not that positions really exist anymore in the NBA either, but, but you do need a power forward and uh, it'll just be interesting to see how they fit the pieces together. Um, But, uh, and, and, you know, it seems like the top of the draft, other than Wembenyana, obviously um, is more smaller guys. So it, you know, if they end up being in a lower spot draft wise, it might not, might not be the worst thing in the world, although you'd always rather have more talent than less. Um, uh, let's finish it up with the question of how do you rate this season? I mean, you you brought that up when we were talking before we went uh, live with the podcast, and it's a great question. Um, you know, I went into this season thinking that uh, they needed to lose as much as possible to go for Wembenyana. Um, at the same time, like I said, at one point they were on pace to, to win 45 games. You can't, I, I don't see how you make a 45 team, a win team, win 25 games. Um, so I don't think that that was realistic given the way things went. I think the fact they, they were able to, to play at that pace for a significant point of the season is also a, a positive, uh, looking forward. Um, but at the same time, you know, they are where they are. They are, they're a lottery team and, and that, you know, so how do you, uh, wrap all that together in terms of what you expected versus, uh, how it's gone? Yeah. And I mean, I think the one that, you know, if you could ever prove that they would have gotten Wembenyama and if they did X, Y, or Z, um, you know, obviously right. just the, the fact that the ping pong balls being what they are, uh, you could never really do that. But if, if, if you were somehow able to see into a different dimension of this is what have been required for them to get one Yama, you know, um, would, would you have made the deal? The answer is yes. You would have traded yeah. whatever success that they had if you could have guaranteed it. Um, because I, 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 you know, at, at least that's what I think right now. I mean, obviously there have, there's a not zero number of times when we, there were players that we thought were going to change the league who didn't, uh, you know, that the, the, there were guys that we thought were going to be superstars that were going to, you know, shift the balance that didn't shift the balance. I mean, you think, you know, Greg Oden would, would be one name that springs to mind, obviously, or something with somebody with a local connection um, that, you know, I thought, OK, like this is going to be a five man who makes Portland this. And it obviously didn't happen for injuries and all kinds of reasons. And, you know, there, there have been a few other of those, you know, sort of true busts towards the, the top of the draft. But, you know, I mean, LeBron James used the word alien. I mean, I, I'd be really, really surprised if it doesn't work for this guy. You know, if, if he doesn't end up being uh, this sort of unicorn player um, that immediately, that almost immediately changes 
the balance of power because of just of things he can do. And and I think, you know, if, if you were to say we had a chance of getting that guy and we didn't, uh, you would end up kicking yourself. But obviously you, you don't know how realistic that was. And, you know, I, I, you're, you are, you are of a different mind than this, than me, but like, I am not under the impression that if they shot for the moon and hit the stars, which would mean getting Scoot Henderson at number two, that they would be better off. I, I don't think they would be in good, you know, I, I think you, they'd find themselves in the same position Sacramento was if they had, uh, you know, two lead guards, um, if, if, if it was Wembenyama or uh, Halliburton and, and Scoot trying to figure out how to coexist. Uh, I think they're better off having one lead guard that's their centerpiece and then building around him. Um, and so then after that, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between three. I don't know that there's going to be end up being a whole lot of difference between three and eight for this team from a draft perspective. You know, if if Walker fits the way that they think, I think they can get him at six or seven and it not be a problem. And I think if they get that piece, if, if they come away from this with a forward power forward, they really trust, um, then I think it will be a, ultimately be good that they won as many games as they did, that they had some got to experience some of the good times uh you know so it'll ultimately be i i think this will ultimately they could find themselves in a position that they could say i'm glad this went the way it did you know i'm glad you know that they that, that, that they'll be saying obviously not, i'm saying this but kevin pritchard might find look at himself and say you know what glad we didn't make it glad we drafted where we did you know but glad we won a lot a lot of games glad we got to see some uh, what it was like to beat some really good teams. I mean, that they're going to, you know, it, they can look down their schedule and say, okay, you know, like you beat a whole lot of teams that are going to be, um, that are going to be in there at the end of May and the beginning of June, uh, you know, that, that, that have a chance to be, you know, you've, you've, uh, you were competitive with Philadelphia a bunch of times. You beat the Bucks on the road. Um, uh, you know, you beat the Celtics on the road. Um, you know, you, 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 you know, you beat Dallas, you beat Los Angeles in their place. You beat defending champion Golden State. You know, you could look at a lot of these wins and say like, look how competitive you were. Look, 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 like there was, uh, there, there were definitely stretches in this season where they had no reason to fear anybody that they might lose, but they were going to be able to walk in and play, you know, and create a competitive game with every single team in the league. And that obviously doesn't mean that they were as good as those teams, but they were good enough to compete with them. And that matters for creating confidence going forward, creating cohesion going forward for them to have something they can look at on film and say, this is what it looks like when you guys are really good. Um, and I think having that, it's better to have a, a lot of that that you can look back on rather than be Detroit or Houston or San Antonio and look and say, okay, like from an on-court perspective, you got very little out of this season. You know, where these guys, I think, got a lot out of this year. You know, Tyrese Halliburton gets to be in a position where he is a lead guy, proves he can do that at an all-star caliber, you know, proves he can have nights where he can really take over about re against really good teams. You know, like, uh, you know, Miami, the night that he goes off for 43 against them, after they had completely bottled them up about two or three weeks earlier. You know, like stuff like that is, is stuff that they can look back on and say, see, this is what it takes. Halliburton spent a lot of time learning how to close games. He can he can look at those experiences and take that forward as he is, the, you know, a face of a franchise type guy. Um, ultimately, I think it was good they experienced a lot. Would they have been better off? Are they going to be kicking themselves that they didn't 
get across the line and, and, you know, that, that, that Halliburton, you know, didn't stay healthy. If they would have had him for them 10 games, maybe they go six and four and they're in uh, safely in the player up in round. And they're, you know, maybe an eight seed and they're actually in a position where they could find themselves, uh, you know, winning one game and, 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 and then getting to play an actual series. And even if you get dusted in that series, is there value to that? Um, you know, I, I think there could be, I think you could look at it and say that they would still have gotten a really good player and, been able to be in a playoff series and, and and test themselves in that atmosphere you know that might have been something good to have but i think they're they're they can ultimately look at the season and say that a good bit was accomplished that sets a foundation for them to be good in the future yeah i think it's an interesting i mean i've looked at all the numbers and the, and the tanking stuff and what it comes down to is if you can get the alien it is a hundred percent worth doing yeah but if there's no alien, it's not worth doing. I mean, that's not really what it comes down to. Um, it's yeah. also it's worth pointing out too that like um, if they finish fifth or sixth, there's a ten percent chance. Uh, it's nine point something or other, but ten percent chance of getting the first pick. If you finish first, second, or third, there's a fourteen percent chance. I mean, is four trading four percent really worth giving away everything else that you did? I mean, you make a good point. Yeah. I don't think. It, you mentioned, like, I think Detroit's different. They got Cunningham coming back. Um, yeah. Even if they don't get uh, Lembignana, you have reason to be excited about next year if you're a Pistons sure. fan. Yeah. Um, maybe Houston's got so much talent, so maybe you, they're in that same. They're, they're just have been a weird team this year. But you're right. If you're San Antonio, if you're Charlotte, and you don't get Lembignana, you just wasted a year of your life. And that's, yeah. that's going to be crushed. I mean, now, is it worth taking the chance on getting Wimbignana? It probably is, but it's still 14%. That's not much. So, um, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, those teams weren't very good. Like, it's just, and, right, and so right. it's not like they openly suppressed what, what, what something that would have been good. Like, yeah. so the, to your point, like, if, if, if this team, you know, fully constituted, if they had Halliburton the whole time, were they good enough to win 40 games? Probably. Right. You know, like if, if, if you don't have if Halliburton plays 82 all healthy, they probably could win at least 40 games. Yep. You know, uh, I, I, that that's not, you know, going out on the limb. They'll, they'll probably still get a couple more wins and you could say, all right, you know, they could have gotten five more, um, you know, w- with him available. You know, can you suppress a 40 to 45 win team? to the point that they're only winning 25 games or fewer, because that's what you're looking at. Again, you're looking at this, right. um, you're looking at the, at the records right now, you know, Houston's got 18 wins, San Antonio's got 19, Detroit's got 16, and the Pacers have 33. Like, at a certain point, like, if if you can win 33, you got to work real hard to take the soul out of your guys to make them win, win only win 16. And right. that, there there is a psychological tool that that takes. You know, it's one thing to get here in the last two weeks of the season when everybody's tired anyway and say, hey, how about everybody? T- how about Tyrese? How about you take a break? You know, Miles, how about you take a break? Your back doesn't feel great, right? You, you know, how about how about you not push it? That's not very hard to ask somebody to do that for a couple weeks, for two weeks, six games. If you ask somebody to do that in January or early February, like you're really taking the soul out of some guys. And making them, I think, really souring them on the on on the situation, you know, like Buddy to to his point, you know, like when uh, Rick Carlisle said, like you you gotta you, he's kicking and screaming when he doesn't play, you know, like he's a guy that that wants it that bad, like how do you do? What, you know, you can't tell a guy like Buddy 
in February, hey, we're we're out, and him be okay with it, like and 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 still have him be like a a, a functional positive, you know, uh, influence. He's gonna be annoyed. He's gonna be soured. And when like uh, when a guy like Buddy gets soured, it affects you know, it it affects how the locker room feels, you know, and so that trickles down to younger players. And so I I think that those are um you know things that you have to consider you know it matters i think going forward that this that these guys like each other i mean like i think you know, there's some way in which um maybe the pacers have old, oversold that and maybe i bought into that too much um but i i think it's reality i mean i think you know if, if you're going to play 82 games together if you're going to be together that many nights in a locker room like you, you gotta you gotta fit there's gotta be a you know they gotta like being in that room together, you know, and they gotta like being on the court together. They like gotta like sharing the ball. They gotta like being around each other. Uh, you know, chemistry matters when you're talking about, you know, when you're only talking about a team of, you know, 17 guys. Um, you know, like it's it's close quarters. So it, it I, I think anything, I think keeping morale high and, and not making it feel like a death march um, was positive, and and I think there will be benefit for that going forward. I also think it's a benefit that Halliburton showed he's the kind of guy that you might want to play for. Uh, A lot of people thought he was, but he, again, proved Mm. it until here. And Indianapolis, I love living in Indianapolis. It's a great place to raise a family, but it's well noted that uh, it's not exactly a hotbed of uh, NBA excitement for players. Um, And so having Halliburton establish himself as another positive was, um, you know, was important as well this year. But uh, that'll wrap it up. That'll wrap it up for us. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Please go to IndyStar.com, read all the work that Dustin does, um, and uh, we will be back. Uh, heck, if anything, certainly the the off seasons. This is a huge off season for the Pacers, and we will be uh, podcasting throughout it. So uh, look forward to talking to you some more. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.